Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, open our hearts and minds to the message that you want us, each of us individually, to integrate into our lives today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Being of the same mind. Clearly being of the same mind on certain subjects is practically impossible today. Lately we've been so divided politically, economically, socially, and religiously that there is a genuine fear of voicing our opinion in unknown environments. There's a common fear that bringing up a point of view that contradicts the worldview of someone nearby can trigger an angry exchange that makes everyone uncomfortable. To minimize the chance of becoming embroiled in such an unpleasant exchange, we might often tread lightly in our conversations until we're assured that the space is safe. Although this divisiveness is particularly strong today, it's been an issue for a long time. There's always been groups defined by a certain set of commonalities that dictate what's appropriate and what isn't. These groups can be defined by political views or a common cultural history, religious beliefs or a socioeconomic status or any number of circumstances or views. It can even be based on your favorite sports team. There are certain perspectives within each group that are considered sacred that thou shalt not challenge. This can be good sometimes, but it can also, of course, be unhelpful. For example, there was a time in the United States when immigrants were expected to completely conform to popular American culture. Names were changed, children were discouraged from using the language, the primary language from their home country that they came from. And cultural identities were lost. This was the melting pot mentality where everyone was expected to essentially be the same. Unfortunately, this kind of conformity resulted in a loss of diversity where new ways of looking at life and solving problems were lost. And many in the mainstream culture were even unaware of the possibility of living life in a different way. People were single-minded in terms of culture. I don't think this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote the passage that we read from this first letter to the church houses, church houses in Corinth. Although he asked them to be, quote, <clears throat> be in agreement and that there be no division among them, but that they be united in the same mind and the same purpose. He was supportive of Gentiles expressing their own culture, in fact, one of the earliest conflicts in the Christian community was over how much the Gentiles, which were the non-Jews, were expected to conform to Jewish culture. And Paul was the primary advocate for the Gentiles, refraining from having to completely become Jewish. In chapter 15 of the book of Acts, there's a discussion about a group of Jewish people who came from Judea and traveled to the Gentile communities told the Gentile men that they must be circumcised if they want to follow Christ. Paul disagreed. So he went back to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles and the elders of the church about these issues. 
The ensuing argument was eventually resolved, as noted by a statement by James, the brother of Jesus, saying, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. But we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from whatever <clears throat> has been strangled from blood. The Gentiles were, were not required to totally conform to Jewish culture to be circumcised. But there were some principles that they were expected to uphold. Paul successfully advocated on behalf of the Gentiles to not be single-mindedly, single-minded specifically in conforming to a certain culture. So what was he talking about in this letter to the Corinthians when he asked them to be of the same mind and same purpose? Apparently, there were different ways that people were approaching Christianity in those days based on the different teachers that they had. Some felt Paul's teachings were better. Others placed more weight on Apollos, and others trusted Cephas more. And some just simply claimed Christ, perhaps suggesting there might be a secret knowledge that only a few had, which was characteristic of something known as Gnosticism, which has its own troubles. Paul was a Pharisee, one of the most strict Jewish religious groups, who expressed a vision of Christ, who had experienced a vision of Christ as he was traveling to Damascus. <clears throat> his encounter with Christ led him to become a devout follower of Jesus, and his understanding of Jesus and his teachings were mostly affected by his training to be a Pharisee. Apollos was different. He was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, and he hailed from the city of Alexandria, a city in Egypt. And he went to the other cities on the Mediterranean coast to spread the gospel message. His understandings of Jesus were likely affected by his growing, his experiences growing up in Egypt. And then there's Cephas, which was another name for Peter. He was one of the first apostles who, fought, apostles who followed Jesus during his life on earth. And he would have had a different understanding of Jesus based on his upbringing, as well as his firsthand knowledge of what Jesus said and did. Having come to Jesus from different places, mentally as well as physically, they each probably understood Jesus' teachings differently. Since there is no way to practically point directly to God and give a full and complete description of God and Jesus, people over the centuries have tried to think about the nature of God and offer their own view of what is God, what is Jesus, what is humanity. This is theology, thinking about God. And there have been many who have tried to convince the world that their theology is most accurate. And some have even said that their theology is the only correct way of understanding God. Such arguments have been going on for centuries. And divisions like those that took place in Corinth has sparked schisms over and over and over again, spawning the various denominations of the Christian faith that we currently see in the world today. Hundreds, if not thousands. Today, those theological arguments continue to feed into the schisms between faith communities. And there are even new issues which threaten to cause new divisions in the church. Besides disagreements on things like 
whether clergy should be allowed to marry or whether women should be allowed to serve in church leadership roles. There are differences of opinion on human sexuality that have become a source of division in the United Methodist Church. While there are certain theological foundations and understandings that are important, such as the understanding that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us so that we may be saved and reconciled with God through the gift of grace. There are other theological differences that probably shouldn't carry as much weight. I think a recent Facebook post from a colleague who quoted Stephen Bryce, who's a popular social media author, he said it well when he said, I am utterly convinced that God will have all kinds of grace if we got the theology thing wrong. I'm not entirely sure about how God will take it if we get the loving people seeking justice and choosing mercy part of life wrong. I think he was right. And I think this is one way of summarizing Paul's message to the Corinthians. The details of how he presented the gospel message versus how Apollos presented them or how Cephas presented them is not as important as following the principles of Christ's teachings. And those principles are about loving. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul and all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Christ told us through Scripture that all the law and the teachings of the prophets can be summed up in these two commandments, loving God and loving neighbor. If our efforts don't involve loving God and loving others, we are missing the mark. Our teachings encourage animosity and division. We are missing the mark. If the fruits of our labor are disparaging words and anger, we are missing the mark. When Paul pleaded with the churches in Corinth to be of the same mind, I think he was asking them to live in harmony with the mind of Christ. Although that may look slightly different to different people, the mind of Christ is fundamentally compassionate and full of grace. If these traits are missing in our thoughts and motivations, we may want to step back and spend some time in prayer where we can seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and align ourselves with the mind of Christ as much as we can. Aligning ourselves with the mind of Christ sounds simple, but it's really not an easy task. And it's not something that we can force upon ourselves. It's a gift from God. When you think about it, the mind of Christ did not lead Jesus toward the kind of success that the rest of the world would have considered admirable. It led to a torturous death at the hands of Roman executors, which seems like a foolish goal in life if that's where you believe the story ends. For those who see beyond the cross, for those who see Jesus's life journey ending in humiliating death, if, those who's, if Jesus's life didn't end with humiliating death, it looked like the consequences of being a miscalculated reach for power. You only saw the cross end there. But for those who can see Jesus and beyond the cross to the resurrection, where he sits at the right hand of God and will come to judge all of humanity at the end of time, the mind of Christ is the mind of God. The message of the cross is a message of hope. 
where we learn to have faith in Jesus and his teachings, his teachings of love and mercy. It's a demonstration of how the worst in this world is no match for the best in the divine realm, and how the God of all creation loves us so much that we were given the opportunity to be saved through the work of that suffering on the cross. It's difficult to understand all the details of how, of how that works, salvation on the cross. Many have tried in different ways, but choosing to look beyond the cross, beyond the well-intentioned attempts to explain it, is a choice to welcome Christ into our lives through faith. It's a choice to commune with the living Christ whose mind continues to live on, abounding in love and compassion. I invite you this morning to open your hearts and minds to the possibility of finding the mind of Christ. Don't worry about conforming to the expectations of the different groups in this world, but instead, be transformed by the mind of Christ and let yourself experience the power of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.